Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman, and it's my mission to explore the idea of happiness and discover why so many of us push it off into our futures. Futures none of us are guaranteed. A friend, Christina Wise, recently posed the question, if we're putting off true happiness, does that mean that we're unhappy now? Is that the permission we're giving ourselves? And that's a very important question because it's one my guest today has surely asked himself countless times over the last decade. We get into it pretty early on in this conversation, but John Abate was hit by a car and almost killed while out riding his bike, training for a race on what he thought was a perfectly normal day. The person who hit John was never caught, and yet somehow John found it within him to forgive this person. And that's a very important concept John and I talk about in this conversation, which is the power of forgiveness and how it can do more good for us than the person whom we're forgiving. The power that discovery instilled in John is what has led him to doing the incredible work he's doing today. John Abate's mantra is basic and relatable in that our true nature is not lived out from the workings of the mind, but rather from the place of the heart or soul. From this place we can reflect the infinite, never-ending energy of love, kindness, and compassion. This energy is manifested through our intentions and actions in everyday life. John's formula for living out this intention requires a daily practice of mindfulness. As a trained MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, John's practice of meditation and awareness of self are helping many others learn the way of leading more happy, less stressed lives through his guidance in his eight-week MBSR courses. John is striving each day to embody the nature and essence of mindfulness into his life, and he has overcome a traumatic and life-threatening event that has brought him onto his own spiritual journey. Before we get started, if you find value in this conversation, I would greatly appreciate it if, while you're listening, you keep your friends and family in mind. If you think this conversation would help someone you know, I would be so appreciative if you would share this with them. If you've ever harbored resentment or you've told yourself you'll be happy the next time you get a pay raise, there's a lot of value in this conversation for you. Please welcome my guest, John Abate. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Did you have a a good weekend? The weekend was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Took took advantage of... uh, a little window in the weather and uh, played on the water quite a bit, which is that's fun. That's fantastic. So we were just talking about a moment ago. So, I mean, you live, you live on the West coast, but you're visiting the East coast right now. Is that correct? Yeah. So I grew up in Connecticut and I've been back here with family. Um, it, all families back here and um, just been a wonderful time spending time with family, helping uh, my father with some recent um, health issues so what a better time than now to be back, especially kind of post-pandemic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I have not traveled out to the East Coast all that often. I've been to Portland, Maine, I think, once. I think that's at least in the, the Northeast region. I, I've never really gotten to experience all that, uh, that much in the area. But what I, what I do remember, I guess I've been to Boston as well, but it's just – it's beautiful there. It's just a different – it's just a different part of the country. I know that sounds very, that sounds weird, but it's just you, the, the experience you get there, it's just, it feels so natural. And I really love that. Are, are you getting out and enjoying uh, the, the scenery? And you mentioned being on the water a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right when you say, um, you know, it, it is different from the sense of having an experience, you know, I think it plays into um, environment um being outdoors is something I love. So coming yeah. from the West Coast and, you know, and I grew up here. So this is kind of, these are where my roots were planted, right? So, yeah. um, but being on the West Coast for a better part of 20 years, 20 plus years um, and coming back, the appreciation that I have when I come back is so much 
greater than when I was younger and all I wanted to do was get away, you know? And so it's so interesting to watch that as it develops in your life where you come back to where you come from. So yeah, I've been really enjoying a lot of it, you know, getting out for hikes and paddle boarding and doing some boating and fishing with friends. And it's just been wonderful, really been uh, having an opportunity to take advantage of it. That's amazing. I, now, I do know you love the outdoors, as, as we're, we're talking about right now. Have you? I, I want to talk more about uh, your history with cycling. I mean, are you, are you still doing a lot of cycling? Is that something that you, you have continued doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my history with cycling is really uh, kind of a cool story. I didn't find cycling well, I didn't find road cycling and competitive cycling until much later in my life, in my mid thirties. And it just, I got bit by that bug pretty pretty hard. And, uh, for the better part of the last, you know, decade and a half, I've been really, really, um, committed to just enjoying everything about road, road riding and racing. And, uh, and just in the last couple of years, I've kind of tapered back on the racing part of it. And and that's something maybe that would be interesting to talk about as well, somewhere, somewhere along the line in our conversation, yeah. just, you know, kind of pulling back from there started to become like an identity with that. And uh, that got a little tricky for me. And I wanted to be sure that I was, you know, creating more balance. Um, but to answer your question, Trey, yeah, cycling, I, you know, brought my bike back. I don't try, I try not to travel without it if I'm going to be anywhere for an extended period of time. Um, yeah. Because it's just such, such a, a wonderful way for me to see places, release energy, just be on the bike and enjoying it. And riding on the East Coast versus where I, live in, on the West Coast are two totally, you know, different environments and, and challenging as well. So it's just been, it's been great. So, you know, I'll take the bike out and just go out for a couple hours in the morning before work or, or you know, lunch break or something. So really lucky, lucky that I get to do it. That's amazing. Um, I, I, biking, I will say mountain biking has become a big part of my life over the last couple of years. And I actually set out uh, about a year or two ago to rebuild an old mountain bike because I, I wanted to know, well, I, I like using my hands and I wanted to know the, the inner workings of how bikes worked. And it's been, it's been a really rewarding experience going through that. I, I've done everything from replacing the drivetrain to re- replacing the cockpit, the fork, all of that. So it's been just a ton of fun getting my hands dirty and just kind of learning about it. So I, when I'm out on the trail, if something goes wrong, I'm able to fix it. I think that's one of the most important aspects of it, but it's been, it's been so much fun doing that. Actually this past weekend, I, I finally upgraded to clip in pedals and shoes, which terrifies me just a little bit because I'm always scared of going over my handlebars and not getting my feet out of the pedals. But I just, just messing around in the parking lot a little bit. I haven't been on the trail, uh, yet with them. It's been, I mean, the difference just, it just makes so much when you're, you get that extra torque as you're in your up as well as down strokes. It, it's, it seems like it's going to be a really cool experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now you're wearing big boy pants. yeah yeah uh yeah that that's that's great yeah you're you're definitely like progressing and uh you'll find the feeling of being connected to the bike is just that's really where it is and to your point you know just more watts more more torque yeah very cool i'm I'm still you uh get as get as much enjoyment out of it as i do i love mountain biking too yeah absolutely it's it's ton it's a ton of fun and i you know the one thing you said that struck me was uh, talking about identity and talking about the biking becoming a part of your identity. And that's, I had an interesting conversation recently about hobbies and why so many of us feel like we need to monetize our hobbies and why we feel like our hobbies become parts of our identities and, and trying to keep them in a place in our lives where we can do it for the pure enjoyment of it, as opposed to feeling obligated to doing something because people expect us to. And I'm wondering how much biking became that for you. It really sounds like it it started to, I don't want to say you didn't enjoy it as much, but I'm curious to know what effect that had on your identity. Yeah, sure. Well, I had mentioned it earlier, you know, and so that was a part of my journey, the path that I've been on since I had a pretty traumatic accident uh, going back uh, six years ago, um, while I was cycling. Right. So, um, I think, uh, what I learned from, um, my experience with pulling back and just 
creating more balance was that I was, I was, I was possible. I would say I was possibly um, putting things off for um, something that, while it did provide me a lot of enjoyment, I'm competitive. You know, so I raced at an elite level uh, on the road, and um, and uh, you know, for a, a stretch of years, you know, five six years, I was you know traveling and you know on competitive teams here in the U.S. and uh, and. Uh, it, it just became something for me that um, started to shape my identity. Right. And that for when I say that, I mean everything that I did on the bike and off the bike was about being on the bike. So, you know, taking time away from socializing, family, trips, you know, traveling and doing other things, other hobbies that I enjoyed, it just started to get to a point where, you know, I was looking at it and going, look, you know, I'm way past the age of, you know, making a career out of this, certainly far under the talent level. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I did race on an elite team. And, uh, but most of what I was doing um, was more age group things, but that's still as competitive as ever. And so I just, um, I had an opportunity to kind of refocus after I had my accident, I made a list of things that I really just truly enjoyed doing and that I loved. And I got back to doing those things. And I found that cycling still had a place in that list, but it just didn't preempt everything that I really wanted to experience and do. That's that's really powerful to hear that because I think so many of us, myself, has I, I've been very much included in this. You get so... You get, you get such a tunnel vision when it comes to something that you, you really, really enjoy. And I, I've had the experience where I, I've become so obsessed with something that eventually just loses its pleasure. And I, I'm glad to hear that you were able to, to scale that back and, and still find enjoyment out of it instead of, you know, every time you see a bike, it gives you anxiety or makes you cringe. I'm, I'm glad that does, does not happen for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, if you've talked to people, I'm sure you have in your past, whether on the podcast or just, you know, personally, you know, you hear people talking about something that um, they look at, like you said, they look at the bike and go, there's just no way I have no desire to do that. You know, and I think right. that this, that's a classic case of just burning out. And I'm not here to say it's right or wrong. You know, I, I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends that race professionally and that have had professional careers that have had wonderful careers and just decided to hang it up. Some of them still enjoy, you know, being recreational cyclists. One of the things that's interesting um, is how the state of cycling has moved into more of like the one day events, like gravel events, fondos right. and things, which I think is just wonderful. We, we're literally watching a transformation of a sport right before our eyes where people that have come off of having really, you know, successful careers, you know, big time pros that have raced over in Europe at the Tour de France level and things like that, you know, they're coming back and racing these grassroots level um uh, cycling events, you know, perfect example. And I have to give a plug out to friends of mine back in San Diego, but the Belgian waffle ride has been one of the most amazing things to watch how it's transformed the state of cycling, the sport of cycling, <clears throat> excuse me. And where you're seeing, you know, the, their, their latest, um, their latest events drew like over 4,000 people. Wow. Unbelievable. You couldn't pack that many people into a month's calendar of racing, on the road domestically here in the US. Yeah. And so it's just been really cool to watch that. And I think that um, there's iterations to everything in life, you know, and, uh, and that seems to be one of them uh, that I think is just wonderful. Um, I've had the experience of being able to do some of the earlier events that they put on um, when they were smaller in San Diego. And uh, it's just really, it's really cool to watch. And I think a lot of people are taking that competitive edge that they have and that desire and they're putting it into something that's just really fun, really interactive yes. and communal. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I love hearing that. And I, I love, I, I love seeing a, a sport that I'm relatively new to. I, I love seeing its evolution and there, I mean, when you, when you start to explore what a bike is and that, that sounds very fundamental, you, you, it's a very simple to become overwhelmed because like you said, I mean, you talk about gravel racing. I still don't think I fully understand what a gravel bike is versus a mountain bike versus a road bike. Just, there are so many different types of bikes and types of riding out there. It's that the possibilities are endless, which is really exciting. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really been really fun to watch. I think, you know, we're, we're lucky we're sitting, we're sitting in a, in a seat that, uh, has a front row view to watching a sport transcend into something I think really, really interesting. So yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your accident. I know when we spoke initially, we, we briefly discussed it. I, I know it had a, uh, a transformational effect on your life. And I'm just curious what had happened and, and how you kind of got to a place where you're able to heal and learn and grow from it. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, going back to just the, you know, the event, the details of the accident, uh, as I mentioned, um, six years ago, um, I was racing competitively training lots, you know, weekdays, weekends, you know, getting ready for a race that ironically was back here in the Northeast. It's actually coming up this, this holiday weekend, um, up in Vermont, um, so I was about a mile, not even a less than a mile from my house. Um, I was um, with a training uh, partner and good friend of mine, uh, someone that lives real close by in my neighborhood, and uh, and um, <clears throat> so we had we had left the house early morning um, to do a long training ride that we were uh, accustomed to doing together, um, and. Um, you know, it was just like any other day, you know, it sounds, yeah. sounds yeah. kind of cliche, you know, it's like the, when, when these things happen, they typically, typically you don't get any notification, you know, we were just riding together in the bike lane. Um, you know, and like I said, we were like a half, maybe a half mile or, or so from my house when I was hit from behind. Um, and, uh, the circumstances of the accident really, you know, just, just kind of to summarize it, basically, you know, I, I was, I was hit at a high rate of speed. Uh, they estimated that the driver was, you know, going over 50 miles an hour. So he threw me, so I was thrown off the bike about 40 feet. Um, and I landed and when I landed, you know, broke just about everything, you know, compound leg fracture, a shattered, uh, vertebra in my back, um, broke several bones concussion, you know, really just, just in bad shape. Um, and, uh, the rub of it all was that, um, they never found the driver. <clears throat> the driver never stuck around. And uh, so that, you know, uh, was an opportunity for me to um, find my way in yeah. being able to forgive this driver. And I think that the circumstances allowed me to heal because I had to go within, you know, and I had to, I mean, my recovery time, you know, I spent two weeks in the hospital, you know, six months laid up, you know, couldn't walk. Um, you know, I had a five level spinal fusion, had a leg, um, uh, a rod put in my leg for the, for the compound leg fracture that I had. Um, you know, and I, I was suffering physically. Um, but there was something that had occurred while I was in the hospital that, to this day, Trey, I don't really know, you know, what transpired, but, uh, I had some friends that had come in to visit with me and, um, I had asked everybody to just join hands and pray for the driver. Um, yeah. and I, and I, I didn't have a premeditated idea. I wasn't thinking or stewing on it. It had just occurred, you know, to me that in order for me to heal, I need to forgive. And, right. And I think that that was the touchstone for me to <clears throat> move into a place of compassion and forgiveness and allow myself the space to heal rather than holding on to a lot of energy that I don't think would have served me. Yeah, I think you make a very good point there when we talk about forgiveness. I mean, your forgiveness of the driver. I mean, it was, it was for your personal healing. I mean, it wasn't necessarily for him or her. I mean, it's I, I, so many times we hear about tragic things happening to people. And as an outsider, you wonder how in the world could you ever forgive somebody who did that to you, but it's not necessarily letting them off the hook. Not that they perhaps do or don't do not care, but it is allowing yourself to move on. It's allowing yourself to, to show that sort of that mindfulness that, okay, for me to be able to say, I, 
I may be able to heal physically, but I can't heal mentally until I have released my anger from this person. I mean, is that essentially what that forgiveness did to you, did for you? Yeah, I absolutely. And I think that you touched on something that's critically important to anyone that's seeking, you know, their own path, whether it be spiritual or, you know, however religious, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and what you said about, you know, forgiveness, uh, we're not necessarily doing it for them. Right. As selfish as that may sound, as a friend of mine likes to say, you know, nothing wrong with being healthy, selfish, healthy, yeah. selfish, meaning that, you know, we're doing it for us so that we can show up in the world. Yes. Much better in a much better frame of mind to be able to be of service, to have the space to hold for others. And that is exactly what it allowed me to do. Um, it, it had an effect on the people around me that were close to me that um, I think was transformational for some. You know, I think that some people really took a look at, like you said, how could someone be in that space to forgive, ask ask for their forgiveness and, you know, and, and, and forgive them. Um, and look at that closely. And that's just, that's just a, a practice of looking within rather than trying to seek without and try to find answers and attach labels and stories and having expectations about what that should have looked like. They should have found it. He should be arrested. He should spend the this many days in jail or pay this much in restitution or fines or whatever. It's not about that. You know, what will yeah. come will come, you know, and I, and I was, I was very lucky and I, I shouldn't go without saying that, you know, I, I wasn't standing there saying, you know, stop looking for this driver or, you know, there were people right. in my community, you know, we have the, the cycling community, as you probably know, you know, or any community that one lives in, you know, it's a tight knit group of people if you're lucky enough. Yeah to be yeah. within that. So people were doing those things. They were trying to find this person, you know, and I was able, that took the burden off of me. And I, and I just, the, the desire wasn't there. The desire was to heal. Um, yeah. so it left that space for me to do that. Yes, certainly. And I don't know if it's worth delving into, but I, Unless they, that, that particular person or any person who, you know, performs hurtful acts has, has absolutely no empathy. I can only imagine that, you know, the guilt that they perhaps are or have been living with after, you know, hurting and almost killing you. I mean, they're, they're, that has to weigh heavily on them as well. And I mean, that is something to, to, to uh, consider in that forgiveness too. I mean, again, you are not mentally or psych psychically letting them off the hook, but you are relieving that from yourself. So you can personally heal. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if there's solace in knowing that somebody is very likely feeling guilty for having performed a heinous act or, or if it's, or if that, or if that helped you heal at all. I don't know. Is that something that, that, that played into your, your healing? 100%. Again, you've, you've touched on something that's absolutely critically important in recognizing that when I, when I went through the scenario of what it must be like, for yeah. someone to wake up rec recognizing what they had done and comparing that to the state that I was in, it couldn't, yeah. it couldn't match, you know, the physical pain. Sure. There was some emotional distress, you know, and just wondering how could someone do this to me? Um, but also the, the coming from a place of compassion in recognizing there's more than likely so many more forces at play right. and it's not letting them off the hook, as you said, but fear, you know, misunderstanding, you know, most likely <clears throat> this incident that occurred, that occurred, um, you know, this person just, who knows, maybe driving right. uninsured, driving while intoxicated, you know, uh, no license. Y you just don't know you know, or just complete, just, oh my God, what did I just do? You know, and just 
acting yeah. out of fear. It's it's hard to it's hard to stay around in any circumstance when when we're when we're challenged. Yeah. Um, so that analogy of what must it look like for this person every day getting up going did i kill this person did i you know how have i changed their their life you know that that's difficult and that's that allowed me to move into more of a space of compassion and forgiveness when we can see uh others as as ourself maybe not as maybe not on the same you know kind of storyline but certainly we've all been in we've all had experiences or situations where we most likely didn't choose the right path and oh and, absolutely and, and most likely and most likely you know the root of that is is based in in fear yes yeah i i <laughs> I can think of any number of occasions where I was afraid of being held accountable, I think is the most concise way of putting it. And so I would run away or I would numb that feeling of anxiety with alcohol. Um, And there were so many times where I did not want to face problems head on and I would do everything that I could to avoid them. So I very much relate with what you just said. And I I think that leads us very well into your pull to mindfulness, because I I think it was in my life that when I was able to start meditating and, and, you know, practicing mindfulness, and I know that the two are not necessarily synonymous, but for me, they kind of went hand in hand. I was able to look at my life introspectively and, and start to categorize things that perhaps were not serving me and, and making changes in my life. And so I mean, with with your accident and how quickly w- was mindfulness brought into your life? Yeah, mindfulness for me, you know, played played a a, a key role in my in my recovery. Um, during the time that I was um, rehabbing, you know, I was devouring books and listening to podcasts like yours, listening to people. Um, finding alternative ways to heal and uh, something was pushing me in the direction of using the energy within my body that's there present with us all of the time um, and everywhere, you know, both physically and metaphysically. And um, I found I had some previous experience with meditation. You know, I was on a path of, of, um, you know, sitting daily, um, back in my college days, even going back that far back, you know, um, you know, found an opportunity to understand what it meant to just pay close attention, sitting quietly. Uh, and so I was drawing on some of those resources, but what I found while I was, um, while I was rehabbing was, um, I found mindfulness-based stress reduction or MBSR. And, um, really what it, what it was helping me do was look at the scenario that I was in the physical pain, the emotional, all of these things, just looking at it, paying attention to it on purpose without judgment or attachment and recognizing that I was not it. It, it was not, this was not my pain. This was not my trauma. And that may sound a bit off to people, but I think what, what the point is that is that we're so much more and we're not defined by our circumstances. Our circumstances right. come from without, without, without us or outside of us. Um, so it, it draws you, it draws one back in paying close attention and um, something that you had said uh, earlier about, you know, recognizing emotion as just another, another, I would say maybe phenomena 
of of yeah. our being and existence. It's just like anything that we do. Um, and so th- those, you know, emotion, physical pain. So I started really just looking at that and being with it and sitting with it uh, rather than trying to solve it. You know, and right. I think you had mentioned earlier, you know, my, my previous coping uh, mechanisms and skills were alcohol, similar to what yeah. you had mentioned, you know, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're looking for things outside of the resources that we actually have within and, and every human being has these resources, you know, we're all made from the same stuff. So, yes. And, and so when it comes to MBSR, I mean, the, obviously the acronym mindfulness based stress, stress reduction, as you just mentioned, I mean, is it as simple as that? I, I don't, I, I've had conversations about MBSR before. I don't have a, a full understanding of the this total scope of, uh, I guess, of the work that uh, individuals do within that 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 coursework. So, I mean, what when it comes to MBSR, what does it look like working with a coach? And I mean, is it is this sole purpose to help alleviate stress in your life, or does it go so much deeper than that? Yeah, well, great question. I, I, I think just on the ver- on a very high level, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, is to reduce the stress that we all face. Yeah. Uh, if we all can recognize that we, you know, every human being suffers. You know, the Buddha. Yes. Uh, you know, in the in the first noble truth, you know, made this claim. Um, this is not Buddhism. This is secular. This is not t- attached to any uh, religion or specific. Um, you know, spiritual doctrine. Um, really, what it is is it, it, it. This is a this is a program founded by one man, John Kabat-Zinn, uh, who back in the late 1970s, you know, he was working uh, as a clin- uh, clinical psychologist, psychiatrist uh, at the University of Massachusetts Hospital Medical Center, um, and and Kabat-Zinn had a long history of. Um, of practicing Eastern modalities of healing, such as meditation, uh, yoga, hatha yoga, breath work, things like this. And uh, during that time, uh, uh, the hospital was receiving lots of uh, Vietnam veterans coming in with PTSD. And PTSD really wasn't on the radar as it is certainly today, um, as far as, you know, how do we help folks coming in with, with these ailments. And Kabat-Zinn said, send them my way. You know, I've, I've created a, a, a program that can help alleviate um, the attachment to the story about our pain. Yeah. 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 So the, the MBSR program um, does go deeper, you know, as, as you'd mentioned, you know, but on, on the, on the highest level, it's really, um, it's a practice for an, for everyday life for anyone. You know, you don't have to have PTSD or stress or anxiety. But I think that everyone would agree that we have this <clears throat> as a as a fundamental, you know, natural law in our life, right? Because we are, you know, we are of mind, and mind yeah. creates these things. So um, the program really just helps people to learn to meditate, learn to breathe, learn to go through mindful movement, which would look like yoga to most people. Um, it helps in interpersonal communication and how to uh, become more of an active listener and a more um, mindful speaker um, in articulating your thoughts or feelings um, and how really um, to drop this uh, habitual cycle that we have to react to things, but yeah. rather how to creatively respond to yes. things. And so this could be things outside of us or within us. And, and hopefully we look within before we go out. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, I like, I like drawing the, the Buddhist aspect into it. And I will, I will preface this by saying I'm so far from a practicing Buddhist. I, I've read a, a handful of books and I, it, the, the tenets of Buddhism really speak to me. And if I were to adhere to any one philosophy, it would probably be Buddhism. But what I really, really like, and I, I think you touched on it briefly, is our 
as as someone who practices uh, the the core beliefs of Buddhism, your your goal essentially becomes to help relieve the suffering of others. And please correct me where I'm wrong, but through mindfulness and through through I guess the reflection or introspection of our, our thoughts and feelings, we can. I mean, you talk about being a more mindful listener or speaker. I mean, you can really start to. I guess, empathize with people as you have conversations with them. So you can shape your conversations and your actions in a way that helps relieve any suffering or anxiety of others. You just, it's, it's, um, it's been a really powerful practice for me personally. And I, I mean, somebody who is an expert in MBSR, I mean, is that, is that work that you do yourself or is that something that, that you don't necessarily touch on through, through your personal practice? No, it's, it's, 100 percent um part of the program you know um really i think a good analogy is um it's it's like software running in the background yeah and these are and these are features not bugs you know these are these are (laughs) these are upgrades to to the hardware and the software of you know of our human condition you know um an example that you just, you know, kind of laid out there is, you know, having a conversation with someone and especially a challenging conversation. So one of the exercises that we do in the program is we do uh, a communications calendar. So for what, so this is an eight week, let me go back and just yeah. kind of the, you know, sort of the potted um, uh, description of the program. It's an eight week course. So participants sign up for the course um, there's, there's a course curriculum, there's, you know, you get an understanding of <clears throat> the, um, the flow of the class, what you'll be learning, what you'll be practicing. Most of it is practicing. Uh, there's, there is a, you know, a good balance of the didactic portion of the course where I'm guiding and teaching, but, um, there's a lot of sharing, a lot of, um, interacting with each other and with ourselves. You know, so going in within, you know, uh, doing guided meditations, doing body scans, um, doing um, the mindful movement, practicing mindful eating, mindful communication, so on and so forth. So that is what the program looks like. And so for eight weeks, we meet for, you know, two to two and a half hours, usually um, on average. And, um, and participants get an, an understanding. So um, going back to the example of communication and that sort of software running in the background, this is something that has helped participants in all of their interpersonal um, interactions with family, with coworkers, in social groups, um, with themselves, right? So we all have conversations with ourselves. Um, as crazy as it sounds, we're, we're all crazy in this way. Um, but it really is just, you know, um, John Kabat-Zinn said, you know, the definition of mindfulness is when we pay close attention on purpose, non-judgmentally and without attachment. So when we're paying close attention to, let's say, someone uh, speaking to us in a conversation, we have that software running in the background, perhaps, of compassion for someone's plight, whatever that might be. So, you know, if we're in a difficult conversation, you know, I'm stepping back from that habitual cycle of reacting and more than likely saying something that I will either regret or could add additional suffering to the person with which I'm speaking, uh, which then adds suffering to me, right? So again, going back to, we're not doing it always for them. We're, we're, we're doing it for ourselves first so we can show up you know, in a better place to help, to be of service um, and to alleviate that suffering. So that software that's running in the background, as I say, is uh, something that participants can learn in this course about recognizing in this moment, the conversation that I'm having with this person um, is not about me. It, it's, not, it's not about, you know, I think we all intuitively know, uh-oh, I have a part in this. Right. I, I've done something that I need to you know, make an amends for, or, or, you know, clear the air about this and, and find a way to, you know, um, whatever that is, make it right. But, you know, mostly what we're doing is we're just, we're actively listening. 
we're paying close attention and we're being mindful about our speech so that we don't continue to perpetuate that cycle. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. And most recently you, you, you were talking about when we were having a conversation with somebody, not making that conversation about me in, in my own head. And I think our ego plays such a, a major role in that because I think so often I was so guilty of this for so, so long. You know, no matter what somebody was saying to me, I would try to twist it in my own head and oftentimes through my own speech to make it about me, which is so ridiculous. And I, I think if we can really be cognizant of that, then we can we can in turn be so much more beneficial, so a much better listener. And like you have pointed out, we were able to respond to a conversation in a way that is thoughtful and mindful, as opposed to reacting, you know, through through uh, through knee jerk um, in a way that is just not going to be helpful to the person to whom we're speaking. Right, and you've touched on the ego, and so it's just important. Um, to also, you know, add that, you know, in the course, we, we learn about the brain, you know, so one of the, the, what I think is so wonderful about MBSR is MBS, the mindfulness-based stress reduction um, uh, program is packed with the data, packed yeah. with the science. So if you're a data person and you like science and, uh, you know, the opportunity to look to those places for evidence, this is the most evidence-based form or modality of healing um, that's considered more non-traditional, right? So that you, would, you, you wouldn't find a prescription, you know, uh, from your doctor for MBSR. Although, right. you know, you know re referral out, but right. So, you know, the things right. that we uh, typically point to are obviously medication or talk therapy and things like that. And I'm not here to say that those things aren't beneficial. I mean, I am one that, you know, relied heavily on, you know, that way of healing after my accident. I still had to take my medication, go to my physical therapist, go to my Western doctors for follow-ups and all of these things. This is, this is absolutely critical. So I'm not here to say that, you know, I healed myself through some right energy in the universe, but rather I had an opportunity to add and enrich that whole process with this way of healing, um, which I think, you know, uh, got me back on the bike, uh, after about nine months. And I, the first race that I, that I entered into after my accident, I won the bike race and I, you know, and I just thought, you know, this is something that I would have never thought I could do. I was told that more than likely I wouldn't do it. <clears throat> so there is a power of belief in yeah. oneself and having that fortitude to, you know, you know, kind of persevere and push through what we do. So anyway, back to, you know, everything that we're talking about, Trey, I, 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 I definitely uh, want that to be clear that uh, this is not a program that will alleviate and take away physical pain or trauma, right. you know, this is something that allows us to move within the course of life with more grace. Yes. To, yes. Able, to be able to respond rather than to react is a massive shift in just the way with which we communicate, how we see ourselves in the world. Um, and, uh, how we can become more of an open space for others. Yes, absolutely. And going back just a little bit more, uh, we've spoken about conversations with others, but I also want to talk about conversations with ourselves. And I, I, I know you used the word crazy. I mean, I mean, it's not crazy to have conversations with ourselves. And I, I think, and please correct me again, if I'm wrong, but I mean, our conversations with ourselves are, they have to be in, in my own mind, one of the most stress causing and anxiety inducing 
types of conversations that we can have. And we, we get stuck in these cycles in our own minds. And it, to, to me, it's just, it can be, and especially somebody who's not trained in, in mindfulness or MBS, MBSR, uh, it can be so much more difficult to have these conversations with ourselves than it is with other people. Well, I think we could both agree and most everybody can that, um, thought, yeah, which is what we're talking about is <clears throat> that this, this is always here, will not go away. We live with thought. We live with the mind as a permanent resident Yes, in our heads. Yeah. Um, the degree with which we follow it is up to us. Mindfulness yeah. teaches us that while this is happening and while this will continue to, ha to happen until we take our very last breath, that we have the opportunity to work with it. So the ego mind is continuing to run this is called the default mode network. This is a network This is a network portion of the brain that is providing us with data, with information, yeah. with feelings, and things like this. And so we would be we would be trying to swim upstream of evolutionary biology if we thought we could we could stop this. And we're not doing that, you know. So right. so this this isn't about you know getting to a place where we're just in this no mind state. But if we're lucky right. and we practice, we can find, uh, we can find those moments through, you know, meditation, through yoga, through anything that we do, um, in positive psychology, it's called the state of flow. Um, you know, so when we're mountain biking, let's say, and you're, racing down some beautiful single track in the woods and, you know, and, and you're just in it yes. in flow, you know, you're in flow. And so that could, that can vary. And so, you know, you're not going through the process of thinking about the conversation that you just had with, you know, a loved one or a coworker, you're totally in the moment. Yeah. And being in the present moment allows us to experience things as they are you know, and, uh, hopefully we learn not to attach to a story about it or try and solve or resolve. We just experience it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought up positive psychology. That's, that's been a very, I, I've read a couple books on it and it's been a very great practice for me. And yeah, when, when I'm able to, I guess, center myself and, and become in the moment as opposed to thinking about previous conversations, like you mentioned, I just, I, I feel like my success rate is so much higher and I, I enjoy the process so much more as opposed to, I mean, these conversations, for instance, um, if I, if I spend the hour prior to us connecting, just trying to map a conversation in my head about how something's going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm riddled with stress and anxiety. And I feel like those are the conversations that, that don't go nearly as well as opposed to the ones that I just show up in the moment, ready to talk, have an organic conversation about biking all the way to stress reduction to silent retreats, which I want to touch on before we, we wrap up here. And it's just, it's that, 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 that positivity that I'm able to bring into these conversations. It's just, it feels so much more natural for me. Yeah, I think you you said it perfectly again, Trey, you know, having having the ability to draw from the organic whatever it is, energy and um ability to not have a preconceived idea of what we're going to say, you know, and so yeah. this has been said before, but how many times do we uh engage in conversation and have already a you know preconceived yeah. idea of what this is going to look like and how this conversation is going to go as you're speaking i'm now formulating an idea of how i'm going to respond rather and so we often miss things we we don't pick up on cues or we don't you know 
perhaps fully become aware of what's being said to us. And sometimes it's, you know, and I, and I think that's what's interesting is, you know, when we become more present and aware, some, sometimes, you know, we don't have the answers. Sometimes we don't have the solutions and being okay with, I don't know. You know, it's just yes. fine rather than, you know, having to bullshit our way through things, you know, so, yeah. and that, you know, I'm, I'm so guilty and, uh, you know, for sure, you know, prior to, you know, learning a practice and, and becoming more mindful and aware, uh, that was something that was, you know, that was, that was part of my, my social artillery, you know, it's like, I'm going to come up with, I'm going to come up with the perfect answer to solve this or that when I really didn't know what the hell I was talking about. (laughs) I I think, yeah, yeah, I I think that's so prevalent nowadays when everybody has access to all the information in the world, we all want to be experts and that going back to the ego, I think that plays in so much to, uh, that plays into it so much. And I, I do my absolute best to not engage in conversations online because I, I really don't think unless we're having, unless it's voice to voice, I, I don't believe text-based chatting is conversation. I just, there's no nuance there. And so when we try to be ex- experts in something that we simply read a headline on, I, I, I used to be that person. I know what you're talking about. And it's, it's not a good feeling when you're able to look at it from a 20,000 foot level. It's just, I, I, I remember being challenged on, on statements that I made and not being able to back them up. And it's not a good feeling. Yeah. And I think you've, you've brought up something that's worth touching on, you know, with social media and everything and where, where we're going with the, the, the forms of communication, you know, much, much of our genuine um, person to person connection gets lost through language regardless, yeah. even, even in conversation. Right. And so I, yeah. I am, I am a firm believer in having a more experiential um uh, process. You know, I think that, you know, we have to rely on language to articulate feeling. We have to rely on language to articulate emotion, uh, and intent. And so why not try and be the best at that instead of, you know, putting out, you know, uh, a sentence exclamation on, you know, social media and hoping that it lands on someone. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know we're coming up in an hour, but I, like I said, I do want to touch briefly on your experiences with uh, silent uh, retreats because it is something that I have a desire to do at some point in my life. And I've uh, I've read an, uh, a number of authors who have experienced uh, those retreats and every piece of writing I've read on the experience, it, it's always started off uh, you know, the first day, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know, followed up by the third or fourth or 10th day, it being the most life transformational, life transforming experience they've ever had. And so what have your experiences been like, uh, through those retreats? Well, yeah. Um, you've, you've said it pretty well, you know, you, you arrive at wherever you're going for your retreat going, okay, I'm basically going to be alone with myself, my thoughts, my being for the next how many days and what is this going to be like? This is going to be torture, you know? And so that was kind of my first experience with retreat. Um, So I've had the opportunity to go on um, a few silent meditation retreats um, at a Buddhist monastery in San Diego. Um, And uh, my experience has been overall, you know, the most wonderful opportunity to just, if anything, just unplug, um, which is nice, right? So, you know, we're not dragging our computers and phones, you know, into the temple with us and things like that. You know, we're, we're, we're having an opportunity to witness the inner workings of the mind, the body, um, the energy with others around us. Um, it's been transformational for me. Um, I've learned so much about um, finding a place that I call home, which I can draw on anywhere. I don't need to be seated in a meditation hall to do this. Uh, The retreat gives us really an opportunity to close down 
everything that which is outside of us and just be in a space of ourself, our own self, as I said, others within the Sangha. Um, so that's been a wonderful experience. The MBSR program, as I said, is an eight week program uh, with an additional uh, one class that we do an all day retreat that's silent. So participants get the opportunity to actually do this as a one day meditation retreat. Um, and it's just been wonderful to, to, to hear from uh, the participants that, that come to my class about that experience, because obviously, you know, yeah. in the following week, we kind of break that down and talk about it. And many people say, I've just never shut everything off and been silent for six, seven, eight hours. And what comes up is incredible and benefit. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, if, if, uh, if there are, if somebody listening has an idea or an interest in experiencing something like that, I mean, if I, I know this is a loaded question, I mean, is there, if you could prepare them for, for one aspect going into it, I mean, if you could offer one piece of advice to, to take into a silent retreat, no matter how long or how short, I mean, do you, do you have something that you could say to somebody going into that? Well, that's a great question. Accept. Accept. I think just acceptance. Just being a witness to whatever comes up, good or bad. And uh, and, and that's that's a fundamental uh, component of mindfulness is recognizing that, you know, we cannot have happiness without sorrow, joy without suffering. You know, these are you know, th these are, this is sort of the duality that plays out within the, the human condition. So accepting uh, whatever's coming um, on your retreat is critically important to recognizing um, that it is transient. It does pass, you know, um, impermanence, right? You know, the Buddhist yeah. said it best, you know, that <clears throat> everything is impermanent in Bridge. So that's, yeah. that's probably the best idea. I haven't been asked that question before. And I think it's a great question. I would say just acceptance. Oh, that's great advice. And I will certainly remember that. I, like I said, I, I would love to experience that at, at some point in time. So I will certainly take that in, uh, to, to my experience. Um, John, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I'm sure we could spend another hour or two talking about all of this. So I, I can't express my gratitude enough. Um, before I let you go, I do have a few closing questions. And the, the first of, of which I always want to make sure that I'm a, a resource for you because you've, I mean, you've spent more than an hour of your time with me. I, I can't express how much this conversation has, has meant to me. So I always want to ask if there's a resource that you are looking for to continue your personal growth and perhaps somebody listening across the country or across the world can help you in lending that resource. The, the question is simply, you know, what resources are you looking for to continue your personal growth on your journey? Well, I mean, thanks, Trey. This has been a great conversation as well. And I'm, you know, I have a deep sense of gratitude for people such as yourself that are, you know, looking to raise the level of awareness and consciousness and just, you know, helping others. So, um, being of service, I think is, um, our, our sole tenant in life, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and I would say, um, you know, if, if, if you're seeking more out of your life, um, and looking for, you know, this, um, path to either becoming more mindful or just, you know, having a practice. Um, this is a, I think this is a program that has just provided such a wonderful opportunity for people that can come and carve out a couple hours of their day once a week to doing, um, to doing this and to develop a practice takes the time and the energy and commitment. And this gives one a, um, a roadmap. Yeah. So, you know, anyone that's, you know, thought about 
you know, having a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice, a mindful movement. Um, you know, I, I think that this, this is a wonderful resource to find and, uh, you know, whether it be on a retreat or an MBSR class or just a meditation, a guided meditation practice, these are, these are things that can help develop that practice for someone. That's fantastic. And then, uh, my next question, I always like to know because it gives me, it helps continue growing my personal reading list. Um, if you could give credit to one book that has just had a profound impact in your life, a uh, life-changing, uh, book, if you will, uh, what would that book be and why? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> and I only get one, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, you can, you can give two if, if you'd like. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, I would say Ram Das wrote a beautiful book that really landed on me. Um, Be Love Now. Be Love Now is a wonderful book um, uh, that really touched me in a way that was so universal. To it just was a book that helped me recognize that we are all made of the same stuff and connected in such intrinsic, beautiful ways through yes. love. I love that. Um, I, I've, I, you are not at all the first person to mention Ram Dass and I've never had the chance, uh, to read, uh, any of his work. And so I'm, it's, I just, it, it, every time somebody mentions, uh, the name, the, the, the books just, uh, they, they moved to higher and higher up on my list. Um, but I also want to bring this particular book up because you mentioned it. I'd never heard of it before. Uh, you had, you had said the Christ consciousness by, uh, Norman Paulson. I mean, it, it sounds like that had, had a profound impact in your life too. Yeah. When we were talking about books, um, just, just prior to coming on, you know, I, I, I'd mentioned that book because in my college days, that book somehow landed in my lap. And, um, the, the book itself is, you know, sounds very, religious and it's not. And it was the first book that I had actually read that had so much more to do with what we're talking about. Um, yeah. It was a book that I took with me uh, in my travels. I uh, After college, I went and did a an internship down in Costa Rica. And it was like, everything that was developing in my life was like, it just, the book was like right there along with me. And it was helping me to just be accepting of, wow, you're, you're getting out of your comfort zone. You know, you're doing a lot of different things that, you know, could be scary and it's okay. You know, it's okay. So yeah. that was a really cool book for me because it was really kind of the first, the first book about spirituality and the path that, um, that I had read. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I had not heard of it before. So now I will, I will definitely be checking that out. I appreciate that. Um, and then last but not least, I, I always like to close the conversation by asking you if you have a personal call to action, uh, one that you either live your life by or that you generally implore others, clients, family, friends to live their lives by. Well, I think that we have one job to do. And that job as human beings is to recognize and become aware of ourself yeah. and reflect that back out to each yes. other. And so the personal call to action is to know in some way, however we can get there, that we are made of love and compassion and kindness and of the same stuff. And just reflect that light back out, reflect that back, back out in, in your, in, in every day. And we're not going to always get, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that's all I do. It's just reflect out the light and the love, but being aware of that. Yeah. And, and doing that consciously is our sole purpose, you know? Yes. 
that's 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 perfect. I I could not ask for a better way to bring this to a close. Um, John, if people would like to connect with you, if uh, they'd like to uh, get a hold of you, or even learn more about uh, your MBSR course, uh, what is the best way to find you online? Yeah, thanks. Um, Mindfulfoundations.org is the website where you can learn all about the MBSR course, uh, when we're teaching the course, what it's about. Um, so mindfulfoundations.org. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at uh, mindfulfoundations101. So mindfulfoundations101 on Instagram, where we like to share lots of messages and, and information and, uh, and spread the good energy. Perfect. Well, again, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, it has been just an honor getting to getting to know you a little bit more. I'm glad we were able to talk about cycling and working into our conversation and uh, just learning more about MBSR and your work. And I, I truly cannot thank you enough for everything you're doing within this world. And uh, again, just thank you for joining me. Well, thanks, Trey. It's been great talking to you and uh, keep pedaling through life. Sounds like you're Sounds like you're uh, winning the race, man. And I really appreciate your time and uh, um, very grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate that. And if I'm ever out in San Diego, I will absolutely, I'll, I'll find a bike and we'll have to go riding. Well, you have to. And we have a mutual friend together as well. And so I we hope do. we have that opportunity. So Perfect. Well, thank you again, John. Namaste. Again, I would like to thank John so incredibly much for joining me on the podcast and sharing his story. If you've ever had an interest in meditation or mindfulness or a combination of the two, I highly encourage you to check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. You can find a link to John's website, his social media, as well as relevant links based on all of the conversation topics we had in today's episode. And of course, I would like to thank you, as always, for taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. It means the world to me. I hope it brought value to your life, and I hope you were able to consider someone else who might also get value from this conversation. And if you'd be willing to share it with them, I would be so incredibly grateful. Thank you all again so incredibly much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.